And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Well, good morning. If uh, anybody like me went to Costco yesterday, you could use today's message on anger. Oh my gosh, Costco on a Saturday, I've lost my mind. Uh, but uh, so good to have uh, all of you here today. As Andrea said, we're in uh, week three of our Mood Swingers series, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, anger and bitterness today. Um, this series really, if uh, today's your first time maybe with us in person or first time watching online, uh, first things, welcome. It's so glad or so great to have you here today. But uh, this series is, has been really a series that's been looking at uh, some of the emotions, the feelings that we all experience, right? We all experience them in our lives. And we've been taking a look at what the Bible has to say about them and what the Bible has to say about how we kind of allow them to operate in our lives. Because if we don't respond to these emotions in a biblical way, uh, then they could wreak some havoc in our lives and they could wreak some havoc uh, in the relationships that we care the most about. And so today we're going to jump into um, this conversation, this topic of anger and bitterness. So uh, why we do that, why don't you grab your Bible and um, let's prepare ourselves for uh, God's word and what he wants to say to us today. Would you repeat this out loud with me? Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of stories that I could share about, uh, about anger this morning, but uh, the one that really kind of came to my mind uh, that I thought you would find a little bit of interest in is um, uh, we had a situation happen about a month ago and uh, my girls play volleyball, and so Andrew and I, they had a game in Panama City, and so we had to drive in the middle of the week, we had to drive all the way to Panama City for the game, and we didn't get back until about 11.30 or so, and uh, we pulled into the driveway, and we had taken Andrea's car, she always parks in the garage, my car is parked with the kid's car in the driveway off to the side. And, uh, and about 11.30 at night, we come pulling in, and I'm driving, and, and we pull into uh, the driveway, and I kind of unusually have to kind of maneuver around my car to be able to get into the garage. And Andrea looks at me as I'm kind of maneuvering into the garage, and she's like, babe, man, you parked really bad today. And I was thinking, did I? Like... Like, did I? And I got, I got into the garage and, and I got out of the car and, and I started looking because as a guy, I got I to gotta, I gotta prove that I'm right, you know. And, and so I, I kind of look and, and I look at the car and um, you see, when I back, I, I back my car into the driveway, when I back, yeah, I've got a little camera and um, uh, I, I'm about six inches off the edge of, of, of the driveway every time, like every time. Yeah, I mean, I got it to a T. I see the lines in my camera and I know exactly how to, to back up. And so that's where I park. Well, my car was like two to three feet off of the edge of the driveway. And then it was shift over to the side a little bit. And I looked at her and I said, there is no way that I parked my car like that. Jeremiah took it. 
I know that Jeremiah took my car when we had gone to Panama City. And, and, and in that moment, I kind of thought of, of the words of Jesus when he said to, to, um, to, to tell you that anyone that who is angry with a brother or sister is, 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 um, has judgment on them, like a subject to judgment. And I thought about those words and I thought, well, thank God he said nothing about kids, right? Just brothers and sisters. And, um, and so kind of long story uh, uh, short, uh, fortunately, he did take my car. He had taken it to Subway to get a sandwich and, and uh, without asking. And, um, and, uh, uh, and so I had to process a little bit of, of anger. And um, I tell you, I'm glad that, that I was able to process through that in a healthy kind of way, because if I had not, then I would miss out on the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is where it gets really great. So a couple weeks later, our family is, is in Andrea's car and we're driving to Orlando to meet some friends from Washington that had come into town. And we're on Coastal Highway and Coastal Highway is that we live in Crawfordville, so it's, it's there kind of the south end of, of Crawfordville, and we're kind of making our trek um, east on, on um, Coastal uh, Highway towards Orlando, and, um, and all of a sudden, Jeremiah's in the back seat, and he's like, and we come past the subway, and he's like, oh, that's the subway I went to. Now, this subway is 30 minutes away from our house. We have a subway that's like two minutes away from our house, and this is the one that he chose to go to. And so I'm just kind of like, I'm processing a little bit, you know, and, um, and so then uh, he begins to share the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is, as he pulls into the subway, and uh, he gets out of the car, and he walks inside, and the person that's, that's working behind the desk and, and making the sandwiches and stuff looks at him and is like, man, that's a really nice car. And uh, Jeremiah's like, oh, thank you, thank you. You know, he just plays it off like it's his car. And, um, and here's where it gets really good. And so um, the guy says to him, man, what did you do to be able to have a car like that? And I mean, his quick wit to have a response in this moment is priceless. He looks at the dude and says, oh, I made it big in the stock market. <laughs> oh my goodness. We'll talk a little bit about honesty in the weeks to come, but, um, <laughs> but um, you know, when I think about anger, I think of, I think of really all of the, the emotions that we feel, but especially uh, anger. Uh, anger is an emotion that God has created us to feel. I think sometimes we can feel guilty when, when, when anger begins to stir, but it is a emotion that God has, has really created us to feel. And it's emotion that kind of triggers, that kind of says, um, hey, there's something a little off, right, with this situation or with this moment. I like to think of anger kind of like a smoke alarm. We all got smoke alarms in our house, right? They're the ugly little white things that are up on the ceiling, and um, they can get pretty annoying because um, when the batteries go low, they start chirping. Uh, is it just my house, or do, do those things just, the batteries just go low at like 2 a.m. in the morning? Like, is that just me, or 
Like, and then what makes it worse is their, the, the, the way that they kind of distribute uh, the chirping and the noise. Um, you can't tell where it's coming from. So like you're walking through the whole house trying to figure out like where is this noise coming from because of all the different smoke alarms. Well, anyway, I'm kind of digressing. But anyway, so smoke alarms, right? They're not all that pretty. They can be kind of annoying at times, but they're important to have in our lives because they warn us that something's wrong. And that's what anger does for us. It is this internal alarm inside of us that is beeping, that's saying, hey, something's off, something is wrong. And the reason why it's important for us to understand that this is an emotion that God has given us is because there is um, a righteous anger and there is an unrighteous anger. Like, why would God give us something um, uh, that would be an alarm if it's immediately bad? Like, it could warn us that something's wrong, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that thing that is wrong is bad. And so we see in the Bible that there's actually two kinds of anger. There's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. And we can tell this uh, from a scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, that says, in your anger, what? Do not sin. So in essence, like we're going to experience some anger in our life. And scripture is telling us that in that anger, as we begin to, to feel it, to not sin in it. And I think of Jesus and I think of his life when he was here and, and the times that he was angry, the righteous anger that we see him exhibit in his life. Like he exhibited anger, righteous anger, when the religious people had this higher value on following rules than, than caring for other people. He got angry, he got upset when the kids were being pushed aside. In fact, in fact, Jesus has a really special place in his heart for kids. Like, he got really frustrated with the disciples for, for, for getting on to Jesus. Like, the disciples got on to Jesus for spending too much time with kids. And Jesus was having nothing of that. And it makes me kind of think, like, if we're going to be a church that is really all about what is the heart of Jesus and us be that to our community, then we've got to be a church that's all about the next generation, that's all about pouring into kids and, and teenagers and young adults, because Jesus had a special place even in his heart for that age group. He got angry at the fake religious people who pretended to be good, right? But behind closed doors, they were just as messed up as everybody else. He got angry at, at the religious people who were so stuck on their own preferences that those preferences would build walls that would separate lost people from God. And so he had this kind of anger that he exhibited, but it was a righteous kind of anger. And so I want to show you in a little chart the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. You'll see up here on the left that a righteous anger is focused on sin, where an unrighteous anger is focused on the person. So this is something I want to dig into this for just a second focused on sin, the anger that we feel regarding racism, 
right? Which is wrong and not biblical because we are all created in the image of God is an anger that is okay to feel, okay? But when that anger shifts from a sin to where we begin to get angry at a group of people, then we are shifting from a righteous anger to an unrighteous anger. Does that make sense? Focused on sin, a righteous anger, personally. I have a righteous anger about, about seeing uh, babies aborted, murdered in the mother's womb. That is a righteous anger because I believe that to be a sin. Now, if I begin to exhibit that anger towards individuals that have, have made a decision either not to or to do it, my mom personally, when she was 17, uh, had an abortion. Um, so it's something that's kind of close to me. That, was, that, was, that would have been a brother or sister that would have been older than me. Right now, I'm the oldest. And so if, if we have this kind of righteous anger about the sin, that's fine. But if it begins to shift to a group of people or to an individual for the decision they made, that's when we begin to shift into an unrighteous anger. Another example of righteous anger is it tends to be um, something that's momentary. It's situational. It's like, like you're going to Costco and you get cut off two times on the way, you know. You're in Costco and there's so many people in there that you can't even walk in a straight line. You're just dodging everybody, right? It's a momentary thing. But unrighteous anger is something that is ongoing. It's something that's in our life that's just constantly kind of on repeat that we are, are kind of going over and over and over again in our minds. Righteous anger, we respond with the fruit of the Spirit where when we have unrighteous anger, we are responding with the works of the flesh, right? Righteous anger is, a, is an anger that is willing to forgive, willing to let go, willing to say, hey, if somebody says they're sorry and, and ask for forgiveness, you're letting go, right? Unrighteous anger is one, is an anger that wants to get even, like it, it, it wants revenge, like, like you've been hurt, it's cut deeply, and you want to get even, you want to get back. And so we see here that there is a difference. The Bible says, yes, we're going to have anger in our lives, but there is a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. And the reason why Church, it's important for us to be able to distinguish between the two of these is because we see in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, that it says, My dear brothers and sisters, that you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? We can all use that from time to time. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get anger. Now, why... Why would we need to be slow to get angry? Well, we see in verse 20 the reason why. Because human anger, which is unrighteous anger, that it does not produce the righteousness of God. And we can have some anger in our lives, but unrighteous anger in our lives does not produce the righteousness of God. Of God. Now, it's really important that right now in this moment that you are beginning to recognize, 
Hey, maybe there are some areas in my life that I've allowed the anger to begin to shift into an unrighteous anger. And it's important that you recognize that when we allow that to happen in our lives, that it does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, we're not going to be able to to, to live the life and experience the true life that God has for us when we're allowing that to take place. Like it's going to negatively impact the relationships that we care the most about when we allow that anger to begin to happen in our lives. And even more than that, it's going to ruin our witness. Like it just does not produce the righteousness of God. God has a standard. Now, I know this is hard for us to know nowadays because we kind of look at Christianity as my little compartment and this is my Sunday thing once every month and I'm good. But God does have a standard. Like, like when we raise our hand, when we accept Christ, when we come to the altar, whatever that looks like, whatever that moment looked like in your own life, like that's not it. Like there is a, a process, a journey. That's why we use this word transformation. That's why it's a part of our vision. That's why we say it so much. You're probably sick and tired of the word transformation, but it's the picture of what our life is supposed to look like. Like we're not supposed to just receive all that God has done for us and then go back living our own life. We're supposed to yield to this journey of transformation where we are becoming more and more like Christ. The Bible tells us that we are this righteousness that we're actually supposed to pursue it. Like it should be something that in the mornings when we wake up and, and we go to work and we're driving that, that we're like, we're like in pursuit. Like, I don't know if you've ever, uh, anybody ever like taken a car and, and the cops chased you and, and you took them like miles and, no, don't raise your hand, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but it's this pursuit, like, like, like in our lives, there should be this, this kind of mindset, this heart that we want to go after God. Like we want to pursue that righteousness and and the bible helps us see like 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 what does that pursuit look like it's not perfection but it's being fruitful like is our life fruitful is is my life making a difference in the lives of other people and the reason why this says that that it doesn't produce the righteousness of god is because of this reason because when we allow anger to stir in our heart and to get into the unrighteous territory, the Bible says that it creates a foothold in our life. Look with me in this verse, Ephesians chapter 4 again, 26 through 27. It says that if you're angry, and I, I kind of like the way that's phrased because it kind of gives us a little bit of space to know that it's okay to be angry. Like, it's okay to feel the emotion. That is the smoke alarm that God has placed internally inside of every single one of us, right? To let us know something's off, something's wrong. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad, but something, something is off. And, and he says, if you're angry, don't sin. And how do we sin? By nursing your grudge. Like, I think of uh, when, we, when our kids were younger, and uh, I, didn't do a whole, I didn't do any of it the first six months because I was afraid when I held the kids, they'd break them, right? Um, 
That was one of my biggest fears as a young kid. Like we started having kids and I was afraid I was going to break the kids when I held them. Um, and, uh, but I remember when, when I got to a point to where I was comfortable and we'd have a bottle of milk, right? And hold the baby and the bottle, you know, in their mouth and they're just sitting there and it's kind of, you're kind of nursing it and, and you're feeding it. It takes time and it's, it's, you know, and I, it, that's the, that's the mental picture that I get in this. Like, what is the, what is the hurt? What is the pain that has been causing your life? Like it could have been this week, it could have been years ago, it could have been when you were a kid, but what is it in your life, in your past experiences that has been so hurtful that it stirred this anger inside of you, okay? And the Bible says that we began to sin when we began to nurse that grudge, meaning we're thinking about it over and over again. Now, here's what I think is really important for you to understand. Like, this can be a little off-putting for those of us that might be wrestling with this because you're thinking, okay, I'm not the one that sinned. I'm not the one that made the mistake. I'm not the one that had the, the bad heart or the intentions. That was them. And now you're telling me that now I'm sinning for something somebody else has done to me. And here's what I would re- how I would respond to that is that yes, somebody sinned when they hurt you, but it's our responsibility to heal. It's not their responsibility to heal us, it's our responsibility to heal. And when we choose not to lean into that healing, the Bible says that we are now beginning to step into a territory of sin. And it says, don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Now, for a long time, I, I kind of read that literally because that's kind of my personality. Um, I don't think that he's talking about literally here because what would happen if like you and your spouse got in a big old argument like five minutes before the sun went down? Like, <laughs> or like the time changes and you got less daylight you know, in the fall than you do in the summer. Like, what do you do with that? Like, I mean, if, if you're prone to lots of arguments and fighting with people, then maybe you should move, you know, further north because there's areas up north that don't see darkness for three months, right? So you'd be, you'd have plenty of time. I, I don't think that he meant literally, like we got to get it all worked out and settled before the sun goes down. I think what he's saying here is that we have got to be quick to get this worked out. We've got to be quick to have conversations. It's something that we can't allow to just seep deep within our soul and become something that we're just holding on to for months and months or years and years. And we see in this next verse, he says, get over it quickly. And then he says, for when you are angry... Speaking of unrighteous anger, when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. Now, this word foothold is quite interesting because um, it's a military word in those days. So for us, we probably think foothold like climbing a mountain and it's a little notch. And I guess in a way it can be similar to that. But in those days when this was written, it was a military term. And the word actually meant a place. 
And they used this word in the context of a battle. And the enemy would be attacking a town. Um, it would have walls around it. Oftentimes, that's the way that the fortresses were built back in the day. Like towns would be up on, on kind of more um, higher elevation, and they would build walls as a way to protect. And this word was used in the context of the military, um, uh, military term in that they would, um, to be able to go into battle and to penetrate the wall, and to establish a place inside of that territory, of those walls, and that establishment of a place was there to be able to um, create further attacks inside of the community. And so it makes you kind of think a little bit like the idea of this anger in our lives when we allow it to stew, when we allow it to continue to just kind of percolate in our lives and in our heart that what the Bible says is that gives Satan, our enemy, an opportunity to breach the walls of our own life and set up a camp inside of our lives in order to wage an even greater war in our lives. Do you know what that greater war is? It's bitterness. That greater war that the enemy is trying to set up a place inside of our lives as it relates to the anger that we feel is to get us to a place where we then move from an unrighteous anger to bitterness. And we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, um, it says, look after each other, said that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Now, I want to pause there and I want to say this. That we have to make God's house a priority in our lives in order for that first statement to be truthful in our lives. Like there is a responsibility, part of the body of Christ and the community of Christ, one of the reasons why coming to church on Sundays is important. One of the reasons why being a part of a small group is important. One of the reasons why if you've got teenagers that they, they, they need to be here on Sunday nights for youth group no matter what, like there should be a rare reason why they're not here. Like they should be here on Sunday nights for youth group. And the reason why is because it says for us to look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. If we're not in the house, if we're not building relationships, if we aren't getting to know each other on a deeper level than just a, hey brother, hey sister, <laughs> on the way in on a Sunday, then we don't have the people in our circle, we don't have the people in our lives that when we start struggling, when we start hurting, and when that struggle and hurt starts to pull us out of, of the church, starts to pull us out of our small group or our youth group that can step in and say, how you doing? Like, I've missed you. And begin to have some conversations to help put their arms around you and to pull you back into where you need to be. And so, friend, I'm telling you, like whether you're watching online or here, like you need to, like if you want 
God's best in your life and God's best for your family and for your kids and for your grandkids. Like, you need to be in the house. Like, you need to to be here. You need to get them to youth group. You need to put yourself or your family in an environment where they can experience the power and the presence of God in a mighty way. Sometimes, listen, if you're at home, like sometimes it'll happen on a couch, but we worshiped on a couch for like three months at the beginning of COVID, and it was different. It's different. Like a video and live stream is really a tool for, for it was a tool for, for COVID at, at a period of time, and it's a tool for when we go on vacation or out of town. But I don't, think, I don't think it was ever intended that all by yourself on a couch at home, watching distant and removed from relationships was ever intended to replace the community that we experience in a corporate gathering. And so I really want to encourage you, I mean, make it a commitment, make it a value to be in the house of the Lord. All right, here we go. Watch out. Now, when I see watch out, I circle it in my notes. I look at that as an offensive word, not like it hurt my feelings, but offensive rather than defensive. Like we need to watch out. We need to be offensive, like on the walls, right? Like the gatekeepers, like watching out that no poisonous root of bitterness, that it grows up to trouble you, corrupting men. That that is what the enemy does with the foothold. That he begins to develop this bitterness in our heart. And, and I think of kind of the differences between bitterness and anger. Anger is something that's, that's, that's more short-lived, uh, where bitterness seems to be something that's more over a long period of time. Uh, anger is, is more of an emotional response to a present situation, like you get cut off at Costco. <laughs> Right? Or somebody pulls their cart at the grocery store in front of you, or, or, or you know, somebody makes you really angry, or whatever, not to make light of some of, of the things, but it's more of a present situation where bitterness is this recurring emotional response to something that's happened to us in the past. And the writer is saying here that this bitterness, that it produces this root of bitterness. And what does a root do? A root is always under the surface, right? It's hidden. Like for a period of time, we can kind of, we can hide it from the people around us. But what it, it says is that the more that we don't deal with that and the more that we allow that to operate in our lives, the more that we allow that stronghold to be evident in our lives that the enemy creates through our anger and into bitterness, that it begins to grow. And it grows. And the bigger that that root grows in our lives, the more that it puts us in danger and our lives in danger and the more that it devastates the lives of those around us, the people that eat the fruit of the plant. And that's why bitterness is so dangerous in our lives that it doesn't just ruin our lives, but it devastates the lives of those that are around us those that we love and, and we care the most about. And so, so how do we get victory? How do we get victory over anger and bitterness so that it stops poisoning 
our lives and those that we love the most. I must say this, it's not easy. Like, I ain't going to sugarcoat it and be like, oh, this is, you know, it's not easy. I'm, I'm speaking from a guy that has experienced a lot of hurt and a lot of pain um, in childhood, uh, growing up in a broken family with parents that were drug addicts and alcoholics. Like, I, I know what that hurt and pain feels like, and it's not easy to begin to get victory over that again, I kind of think of it. <laughs> I kind of think of it like um, when you have a bad tooth, right? And and you have a bad tooth, and it and it hurts. And what if you're like me? What you do is you choose to endure like months and years of pain because you're so afraid to go to the dentist and experience like an hour of pain that you end up enduring a lifetime of pain. And I think that that's kind of what happens in our life is that we, the idea of letting go, the idea of, of come, moving on and not allowing that poisonous root inside of us to fester and to grow, the pain of that moment and what freedom might look like in our mind is so great, so big that we end up spending the rest of our lives in even more pain and trauma because we're unwilling to walk through the present moment of finding freedom. And so today I want to give you, I want to give you some steps and I want to tell you that one thing that's not hard that is really the requirement for us to be able to move beyond our anger and bitterness is this word forgiveness. It's forgiveness. I told you it wasn't easy. <laughs> it's not. I think of some of the stuff that I've lost in my life, and it's not easy. But Jesus has told us in Matthew 6 the importance of it. He said that if, if you forgive those who sin against you, that your heavenly Father will forgive you. But look at 15. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I want to give you four kind of quick. I know we're kind of, kind of hung out here for a little bit. I want to give you four quick steps to finding freedom from bitterness. The first one is this. Is I, we got to identify who we're angry with. The first thing, if that's you, if you're recognizing today, and, and uh, you may even be angry at me if you're dealing with, with it. It, it. It's something, it's a, it's a foothold that the enemy just stirs inside of our heart. He doesn't want to let go of that place to be able to, to, to do further attacks. He doesn't want to let go of those strongholds. But we've got to identify who we're angry with. And so one of the ways that you can do that is to make a list. Make a list of, of who are the people in your life that have mistreated you. Who are the people in your life that you hope, that you hope you never see again, right? And it's either because you just don't want to be around them or you're concerned what you will do, <laughs> right, if you see them again. Or think about, you know, uh, who are the people in your life that you have imaginary 
conversations with. I remember, I remember getting so angry with somebody and it was something that just kept stirring within me that for uh, probably a year and a half, um, I would have these imaginary conversations that would end up leading to throwing fists and I would always win and it felt good. I tell you, it felt good, but, but that was an unrighteous anger and who might be some of the people in your life that you've been having imaginary conversations with? Who are, who's the person in your life that you wish that you could have a front row seat to their failure? A front row seat to see their life just go down in flames. Like, like in order for us to extend forgiveness and to get through our anger and our bitterness, then we've got to poke around in every area of our lives. Like, the family members. Maybe it's a mother or a dad. Maybe it's an uncle or an aunt. Maybe, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an ex. Maybe it's a deceased parent. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a teacher. We've got to take a moment and we've got to make a list of who are the ones that have hurt us the most. And then secondly, we've got to do this. We've got to determine what is it that they've taken from us. Because if somebody's hurt you, if you've got pain in your past, they've taken something from you. Maybe they've taken what it would be like to have a normal childhood. A normal childhood with parents that are around, a dad that, that would put his arm around you and tell you how much he loved you and how proud he is of you. Or maybe took a the experience of a mom that would, that would be there and there be there for you and homecoming dances and big life moments that would always be there to encourage you and tell you how, how pretty you look and how beautiful you are. Maybe if somebody took away from you your sexual purity or maybe it was a financial security or a good reputation or a best friend or your dignity or your ability to be able to trust other people. Like think of that in this moment, like who, who is it? And what have they taken from you? And then the third, you gotta recognize, and this is huge, that they can never pay you back for what you lost. You holding on to it, you rehearsing it in your mind, you acting out when, with revenge or attitude or whatever, it's not, gonna, it's not gonna restore what they have taken from you. Like there's no way that an old friend can ever take back the hurtful words that they said. There's no way that a child can ever take back the, the torture really that they put their parents through because of all the bad choices that they made. There's no way that a parent can repay a child for the nights that they weren't home to tuck their babies in. Like I stand before you a man with hurts. I stand before you a man with scars from his past. Feelings of hurt of a mother not being around. Feelings of hurt of a mother choosing drugs and alcohol over their own children. 
a hurt through divorce that makes you feel like it's all your fault, that it's, it's your fault that they're not together anymore. Like I stand before you, a man with hurts, but I stand before you, a man who's chosen to do the fourth thing, to let it go. To let it go. I believe there's some of you that are here today that it's time. Like how much longer are you gonna allow people that aren't even in your circle anymore, people that might not even be alive anymore, people that you don't even want anything to do with anymore, how much longer are you going to allow what they did to you to jeopardize the life you live now and the life that you get to experience with the people that you love the most. One of the things that I hate about the enemy is he's so good at bringing that stuff back up in our mind, bringing the pain and the hurt that we thought we dealt with and it comes back again. And that's why not only do we have to let it go, but we have to let it go daily. I love the scripture in Corinthians that tells us this, that we've got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Friend, every time the enemy brings up my childhood, every time the enemy brings up the pain from my parents before, I have to take that thought captive and hold it to the obedience of Christ. And I've got to choose again to let it go. That this hurt is no longer going to define who I am and the life that I live and the relationships that I desire. And I think that's why it says in Colossians chapter 3, instructs us to make an allowance for each other's faults and to forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because church, we have been forgiven of so much. God doesn't sit in heaven angry with you and holding a grudge with bitterness because of all the times that you've let him down. He extends forgiveness. And friend, that's a characteristic of of God that he desires inside of each one of us. That we would be a people that would not hold grudges, a people that would not allow bitterness to take root in our lives, but we would be a people that would take that hurt and pain to the foot of the cross and leave it there. C.S. Lewis said that getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. But you got to let go at some point in order to move forward. Friend, what do you keep holding on to? What pain? I'm not saying that it wasn't painful. I'm not saying it wasn't traumatic. But I'm saying, what pain do you keep holding on to that keeps you from moving forward in the life 
that God has for you. I felt like the Lord gave me this verse. It's not on the screens. It's not in my notes. In 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is Paul giving a charge to Timothy, his protege. The guy that he's planning on kind of passing the baton to. And he says this, but you, man of God, internalize that. You, man of God, you, woman of God in this place, flee from all this. Flee from all the pain, flee from all the anger, from all the bitterness, and pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue endurance. Pursue gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I love that part. Take hold. I believe somebody this morning needs to take hold. Need to take hold of the life that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for. To take hold of the promises and the life and the fulfillment that God has for each one of us if we can choose to let go of the anger and the bitterness. Friend, we can only hold on to one thing at a time. Either we're going to hold on to what God has for us or we're going to hold on to the anger and the bitterness. The anger and the bitterness takes us into a bad place. Holding on to God takes us to a good place. Friend, I want to close a little different today. I really feel the desire, I feel the, the leading of the Holy Spirit to pray for some people today that are struggling with anger and bitterness. And so I want to I wanna ask you this in this moment, these next few moments. I want to ask you to be respectful to the Holy Spirit if you're a Dream Team member and you end up having to get to to a spot to serve the people here that you do that discreetly and and be sensitive with that. But here's what we're going to do. Is we're going to go into a song of worship for just a couple minutes to begin to prepare our heart. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in this moment by getting out of your seat and coming forward. And Andrea and I want to personally pray for each one of you that today you're done. Like today you're no longer going to allow the anger, the bitterness, and the hurt of your past to define or dictate the future that you experience. Would you stand with us? today. Let's sing together. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. 
We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.